0: Father, we come to you with adoration and with praise and with thanksgiving, for you are a God who is beyond our imaginations. What we can say or formulate with words or even our minds can conceive is peril in comparison to who you are. We can never come to a place where we understand or comprehend you fully, but Lord, may we see a glimpse of your glory today, that we may know what is our purpose and what is our lives destined to be as we look forward into the future into the plans that you have for each one of us. You said they're not for evil, but for our good. So I praise thee, Lord, and I magnify your name in this sanctuary, in this place. May every thought, every mind, every perception coming from our minds be captivated by the Lord Jesus Christ and by your spirit today and put us un- under the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And in your name we pray, amen. In Jonah chapter two, verse nine, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay that that I have vowed, salvation is of the Lord. Voice of thanksgiving. When we think about thanksgiving, we think about what God has done, and rightly so. We are grateful for the things that we have received from God, but I want to turn your mind not to the things that God has done, but who he is, who God is in our lives, and the song or the, the thanksgiving, the doxology of Jonah is about the future, is about the character of God, is about who God is and not what had happened to him. What had happened to him led him to a place where he recognized the loving God, the character of God, the, the God that he ran away from. From a place of despair, when fears and ideologies separate families. Given thanks to God in this season is difficult for many. What has he done? Why is this virus still raging and surging and ravaging families and not to mention the physical difficulty that people going through, but the division in the families, the different ideologies of how we think and our different constitution that makes us our psychological understanding and position in which we take. And we want things to look the same as how we perceive them. And so when people have differences in opinion, we get agitated. And our society is not so ravaged by this virus from a physical standpoint, but we are ravaged from a psychological and a mental standpoint because it's dividing the church, it's dividing families, it's tearing us apart. What is there to give thanks to God for? How has this year be worthy of thanksgiving? How God, what has God done? For Jonah, thanksgiving did not come when they threw him overboard. Did not come when he thought about being swallowed up and actually ended up or in a fish. It's undeniable miracle that he's not dead right now. But yet, in this place of despair, in this bottom of all the places that he can be, this filth, ravage destination this is what he said but i will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving what is it about this prophet that we can learn from how is it that he is able to give a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto god he must know god in a way that none of us do he must have some kind of knowledge that we lack There are reasons for Jonah and for many of us today when we look at our predicament to be angry, to be upset, to rail against heaven. Yet, this short doxology, he offers us a profound insight into who God is. The character, the attributes, the love of God. And so he offers thanksgiving. Not for what he has done that caused him to be in this predicament in the first place. But he's giving thanks to God for what God will do because he knows that God is good, even though he disagrees vehemently with what God will do. He gives God thanks. Sacrifice, giving thanks unto God from a place of misery, is true thanksgiving. When there is no visible sign of deliverance at all. How is Jonah going to be alive after this? How is he able to say, I will pay that that I have vowed? How is it? He must have some sort of foresight. Well, because he's a prophet, he must have some kind of foresight. But I don't think so. I think he's just like every one of us. We don't know what the future is. But what we can say comes from what we believe who God is. And he said, I will pay, meaning God will deliver me. There is a message That God has placed in me that I must deliver, even though I don't agree with it. I don't agree that these people, these wicked people of Nineveh should be saved. I don't agree that God should spare them. And yet, I have a vow to God, and God has placed a mandate on me. And I know that God is faithful. And until I deliver that message, I will live. That's for that is, the purpose for my living is to deliver that message. And that's it. So he believed that he will pay what he has vowed to God because God is faithful not just to keep him alive for the sake of running away from God, but God's keeping him alive so that he can fulfill the mandate that God has for every person who call themselves servants of God. And so he said, I will pay that vow. This is a word of prophecy, and it's also a word of faith. It is a word of of thanksgiving, knowing that God will perform that which he had and he has given to him. Unless we believe that God is good and that his mercy is everlasting, we should give up faith and live like the heathen. Unless we believe that God is a God of mercy and of peace and of love, let us offer indignant resignation. Let us raise our voices and our fists and thump the air and tear down the altar of God because the Creator seemingly has left us. What's filled society today? Fear and agony. Seems like God has abandoned Nineveh. Seems like the voice of the prophet is not there. The church has ran away. God says, go this way. And we say, no, no, these people are wicked. The psalmist says in Psalm 27, 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's not what we have seen because we're human. What we have seen, we quickly forget. Or we claim it as our own invention or merit. We live in A world where you must show something. People must see some production, some work, some creative efforts that come. You have to show it. They can see it, and then they can double tap on it. Show me, and then I will give you the like that you're looking for. Show me. Show me what you got. Show me how you have been great and wonderful and marvelous, and I like you. That's the world that we live in now. So we look toward heaven and we look toward God and we say, God, show me, and then I will give thanks to you. Show me what you can do for me, and then I will give thanks to you. We've become so cynical. People have been mean. People have been hurtful. And that's the experiences that we have received throughout our lives. And so we look at God and we say, God, if you are so mercy, well, then show me. Show me how you have been merciful. Show me, wipe this virus, and then I will praise you. Take away all of this darkness and show me the glorious light. Then I will praise you and I will thank you. Because that's the new world order. We give praise. We give thanks. We give adoration after we have seen visibly. It's not so in the scripture. It's not so with people who have followed in the footsteps of the faithful ones. And they say, I have faith in a good God. I will give thanks to him, even though there is this pit of darkness, there are lions, there is this fiery furnace. I will give praise to God if I perish. As they said, I perish. But I will give praise. I will give thanks to God. Where is that character in the Christian today? What do we need to see before we can give God praise and thanksgiving? I think that unless I believe to see the goodness, is the hope that we have is we believe that God is good and not what we can see or behold because our eyes are deceptive. One day we see something and the next day we forget about it. In that dungeon, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. What deliverance have they seen? Has God rescued them from the prison? In that dungeon, in that bondage, they were bound up together. They pray and sing praises to God, and the scripture says the prisoner heard them. They sang loud. God to them is bigger, is larger, is greater than these atrocities that's done upon them. That is hope. That is what I'm thankful for it is the capacity that God can raise up this dirt and made it into your thinking conceivable human being, turning again in in the places of despair to praise God and to sing glory to him. How could a song come from two prisoners who've been unjustly bound, thrown in a dungeon without sentence? Because they know that their work is not done. They know that God has a mandate and God will fulfill. Paul, fear not. I have sent you to Rome. I have sent you to Caesar. And there you will preach my gospel. And so the apostle Paul says, okay, I believe that. And I rejoice in that. Because God is faithful and just to keep what he had promised. Do you believe or you must see? The Bible says, blessed are they that have not seen yet believe. Do you have that kind of faith? And we live in misery. They trusted in the gospel that caused them to be abused. The cost of things pertaining to God is high. They did not know, they did not look for the praises in men, but they know that their reward is in heaven. They trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and not in some jailer who is able to set them free or some magistrate. They're acknowledging God's mercy before receiving deliverance. That is faith. That is true thanksgiving. Luke chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice, he said. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Rejoice. Rejoice, leap for joy. This can only come when you have faith, because the righteous shall live by faith and not by sight. It's not what we see that causes us to be happy or sad, and they can, and, but they shouldn't. But it's our faith in a good God. It's our faith in a God who can do exceedingly beyond that which we can imagine. That is our joy. That is our laughter, gladness, like the psalm that Jana recited this morning. Then will our mouth fill with laughter and our tongue with singing. And then we will say to the heathen, the Lord has been good to us. Indeed, the Lord has been good to us. They're in captivity. They're in bondage. They look toward a God who is good and they give thanks to him. Then our mouth will fill with laughter and our lips with singing. Salvation is of the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The Apostle Paul has a gospel formula. He knows that God had saved him for a purpose. And what he, ha- what he goes through in his life ultimately brings one thing, and that is God's salvation to those that he will reach. That is God's purpose, and that is why God saved the Apostle Paul. What is your mandate? Is it to survive? Is it to eat and drink and be merry and tomorrow we will die? Is it to get into the colleges that you want? Is it to get the jobs, the money, the security, the families, the houses, the cars that you want? What is your mandate? What is your heavenly mandate? What has God designed you to be? What is your future how will this all, all these things transform you into an instrument of salvation? The Apostle Paul said, I endure all things because God has a mandate on me, so throw me in prison, I will pray, and I will sing praises to him. Because this is the part of the journey. Without going through the fire, you won't know whether it's going to burn you. But the Bible says that God will preserve the righteous. Do you not believe? Will you not come out the other side if God wills? But if God does not, like the, the Hebrews, if God does not, then praise be to God. We will not bow. Do you have that kind of faith? Is there that kind of, do you understand the mandate that God has for us? It is God's salvation. It is to bring salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory, the Apostle Paul said, we give thanks to God not because of the comfort and the joy that we receive today, and thank God when we do. But let me offer you the eternal weight of glory, the joy in knowing who God is and not what he has done, what he will do for you, because we understand who he is. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's peril in comparison. The apostle Paul knows something that we should learn. Nothing in this life, the Hebrew of Hebrews, is touching the law, blameless. No one is like the apostle. He can walk anywhere. He has the Roman citizenship. He can do anything he wanted. But those things that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Sufferings at this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There, There is an eternal glory. There is a glory that God has prepared for those who finish this journey. We are in a race. There is a medal at the end of the race, not while you're running it. If you do not finish the race, you will not get the medal. And sometimes we cheat and we get a medal anyway. But with God, there's no cheating For everyone who runs the race has to abide by the rule. If you do not abide by the rule, you will not get the reward. And God has promised the reward for all those who run the race with joy and finish it. So our reward is not while we're running. Our reward is in the end. Will you finish? This is why we give thanks to God. Because we know that this race is not in vain. This fight is not in vain. I fight and I run so that I might attain, the Apostle Paul says. So run, knowing that God will be at the end, the Apostle Paul says, that I might apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. The high calling of God. Let's look at the prophet Jonah again. He had an instruction from God. And God has said, "Go and deliver a message I have to the people at Nineveh." Jonah, chapter one verse two, says, "Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me." It stinks heaven, their wickedness. When you think about modern-day Nineveh, it stinks heaven. The wickedness of the society that we see today is an odor that rises to heaven and stinks heaven. It gets to God. And what does God do? He destroy it, of course. As prophets of God, he destroys, destroy the wicked. Wipe them from the face of the earth. Open up heaven. Let your lightning thunder down and burn them into crisp That's what we think that God would do. Wickedness, God, we destroy the wicked. God, we burn them, throw them in hell. Oh, we don't know God. The word of the Lord comes not to us. The word of God comes through us. He did not call us to be philosophers. He did not call us to analyze what he's going to do. He did not call us to judge whether these people are worthy to receive the word of mercy or not. That's not our job. We as the church, we have a message from God, and our job is to deliver that message. We don't analyze God. We don't judge what God will do. We dare not. We have a message, and so we deliver the message. Jonah heard the word of God, and he said, no, 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 no. These people are wicked. These people should be destroyed. And if I don't tell them to repent, God will destroy them. So the other way I will go. We do that today, don't we? We do that as a church today. We judge whether or not this person is worthy to receive the gospel message or that nation or this people. No, I won't pray for that administration. I pray for that administration. Jonah hated the Nevites. They persecuted the Jews, his people. They don't like, he didn't like them. Their wickedness is abhorrent to him. And he wished that God would punish the evildoers. We hear that today a lot. I hear that. And every time I hear that, I'm sad. We're not God. We don't know God. We have a message. And God's message is not one of wrath. As the church and some of Christians retreat themselves into the higher places and watch to see the destruction of the wicked. How wrong is this image? We want to see the terrifying wrath of God display and we sit there and what? Enjoy it? God sent Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent. That's his job. His job is not to analyze God. We are... His agents of grace, not of wrath. Here is the heart of God. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live. This is my God. This is God. God is saying this. And he's using his name, saith the Lord God. He is using his name, that same name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. He's saying it. This is me. I am speaking this. I am saying this. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We should not have any pleasure in the death of the wicked. We have a message. And the message is God is the God of salvation. I will tell you who that God is. God has called us to be agents of His grace, not of His wrath. We have nothing to do with His wrath. We cannot deliver wrath. We can only deliver the gospel, and it is called the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the wrath of God. His mercy pursues us until we are found at the dead end. You see, Jonah couldn't go no more. He thought he hid himself really well from God in that boat, in that ship. And the storm came, the tempest came, and he knew God found me. He came to the sailors, and he says, God is after me. The only way for you guys to be saved is, chuck me overboard. And they said, no, 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 we cannot kill an innocent man. Oh, no, Jonah is not innocent. But they didn't know that. So God pursues us, and calamity, bad things happen to us along the way. Take it. As God's pursuit of you. God wants to stop you from, from running. God wants to prevent you from going too far because you've got to come back anyways. It is the grace of God that prevents Jonah from going too far because he has to come back. God will, in the end, prevail. Paul and Silas were able to pray and sing praises to God even at the edge of doom because they understood God's love for them. Surely, if God leave them to die there in that prison, God is good. That is the end of the journey. And indeed, Paul died. He was executed. But he said, gladly, spend and be spent for you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Forgetting those things that are behind And reaching forth unto those things that are before. There are many things that we can hold on to. But one thing we should never hold on to are those things that are behind. Reaching unto those things that are before. The Apostle Paul said, I press forward toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The prophet Jonah says, I will sacrifice unto thee with voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Pay your vows. Today, vows don't seem to mean anymore, and so people get rid of them. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow, that thou shouldest vow and not pay. If you promise something, a vow is a promise. If you made a promise, keep it, even to your own hurt, the psalmist says. Keep your promise. Jonah is a prophet. There is a mandate. There is a promise that he made being a prophet of God, and that is to deliver God's message in its entirety and purity and without mixture of his own thoughts. And as he's sitting in the belly of the fish, He says, I will pay my vow. I will pay my vow. It's time for us to pay all vows of the gospel to God. Jonah is called prophet. We are called Christians, aren't we? Is Christ our vow? Jonah is not a philosopher. He's a prophet. He's called to be God's mouthpiece, an oracle of God. It's not called to adjudicate men's wickedness. We have a mandate to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to every creature. That's our mandate. That's your vow to God. When you say you are a Christian, when you're baptized, when you got out of water, that's your vow to God. Have you done it? Are you doing it? Is your life in pursuit of that or is it something else? It is time for us to stop running away from people. Even though right now, that's what everyone's saying. Keep away. Six feet apart. You find yourself in that dark place. There's no one around. Let's turn to God and ask him for a chance to pay all vows. Let's pay all vows to God. God does not abandon us. God will not abandon us if it were any human being or king or master, and Jonah did that, that's it. Jonah is cut off. Jonah is hunted down and killed and set an example. But that's not all God. All God is different. God does not abandon us. Christ has not abandoned us. Neither did he cast off this generation, although we really like that to happen, that he would cast off this generation to wallow in their own hubris and foolishness. Jonah prophesied that he would pay his vow to God and true to a prophet's calling. The fish vomited him, and he didn't die, and he ended up in Nineveh. God granted our request when we give thanks to him, knowing what he will do, not what he has done is the evidence. But we must trust, have faith, what God will do. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For the which cause, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. And here, listen to this. The apostle Paul says, for I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ will keep his. If you are his, he will keep you against that day. You will finish the race. You will receive the reward that's set in heaven for you. That is God's promise. You will not fail. He will not forsake you or abandon you. Salvation is of the Lord. Peter got up there, the first message that Peter delivered, and this is what he said. Neither is there any salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom we crucified, is the Lord our salvation. The name Jesus means Savior. Peter proclaimed the gospel message sets in motion what subsequent generation until us today, you and I, we need to continue to declare. Jesus Christ is God's salvation. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom we killed, is God's salvation. He's not dead, he's risen again, and he will come back again. Death has no hold on him. We can sing it until we believe it and until we preach it. It is not reality for us. The vow that we vow, we must pay to God. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. We cannot determine and we cannot judge who should or should not receive it. We have a message, we must deliver that message. And where you are right now, in the dark place, in the difficult place, in the bottom Of some pit, give thanks to God. Knowing that Jesus Christ will perform that which he had promised he would do in your life. He will not fail. He will not fail you. Give thanks to God. Our message of thanksgiving is that God would not forsake us. He promised. He will not forsake you. In this time of sadness, despondency, hopelessness, many are tumbling down into an abyss of uncertainty. We don't know what will happen. Don't put your trust and your hope in what will come tomorrow. Put your hope and your trust in the God who makes tomorrow and the day after and all eternity. Put your hope in the trust who loves you, in the God who loves you and who cares for you and who brings you from, from the place of despair into a place of glory. And I'm not talking about some kind of physical gratification. I'm talking about your chance to deliver the gospel message and see people come to salvation. That's what brings joy to God, is that he does not wish that we would perish and die, but come to repentance and into salvation for the same manner. His name, Jesus' name, means Savior. John chapter 3, verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. So many Christians talk about condemning. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is God's heart to save us. You see, when the angel sin, there is no salvation for them. When they sin, they immediately cast into the outer darkness when the angel sin. But you and I, God have mercy on us. God say, repent, and I will forgive you. How can we hear the word of penitence unless someone say repent? Unless I and you go out there and say, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that if you repent, you will come back to God? It is through our voice. It is through our witness, through our testimony. We need to be the oracle of God. We need to be the prophets that would go out there in these times and tell people that God loves them. He does not wish for them to die. Let us give thanks to God our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks because what He will do. You will see time will go by and this will be a remnant of history. You will look back in 2020 and you will ask yourself, what have you done? What have I done? Did I withdraw myself into a corner and moan my calamity? Or did I rise in this occasion? Did I prepare myself to be an instrument of righteousness to deliver the gospel message? He is good. God is good. His mercy endures forever. By him, therefore, let us offer sacrifice of praise to God continually. The apostle says, that is the fruit of our lips given thanks to his name. Father, we give you thanks. We give you glory and praise and honor to your name. May your glory shine through each of us in this place that we dwell in this obscurity, that we don't see what is beyond the wall of this this prison that we ourselves constructed and put, up, put us ourselves in. Let us put our hope, Lord, in you. Cause us to have the, the faith. Grant us. Holy Spirit, come and give us the unction, the hope. The hope that we one day, Lord, will pay our vows to you. Knowing that you have a mandate for us. You have a calling for us. You have a ministry for each one of us that we are no longer shut up in some fish belly, but that you have called us from darkness into light to deliver the gospel that you have for this generation. May we be your oracles. May we be your mouthpiece. May we be the instruments that will bring about salvation, the name, the declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ to all those who hear and come to the knowledge of the Savior. In your name we pray. Amen.